you're seeking biblical wisdom and understanding in these difficult and trying times, and you recognize the power of God's Word to delve deep into the issues of the heart, then welcome to Biblical Counseling Today with Dr. John Kwasney, husband, father, counselor, author, and teacher. Join us for Christ-centered, gospel-driven truth concerning our individual, marital, and parenting struggles. This is Biblical Counseling Today. The early Christian church was growing and thriving by the power of the Holy Spirit and through the work of the apostles. These first Christians were of one mind and heart, choosing to share all things in common, exercising great care for every need. Landowners and homeowners were selling their cherished property and laying the proceeds at the apostles' feet. The money was then distributed to all who had any type of need. What an amazing experience this must have been. Maybe you are a part of a church that is very sacrificial and gives this sort of mercy to other people. What a blessing from the Lord. But in this context, Satan was also at work. He worked to confuse the minds and hearts of Ananias and Sapphira with yet another imitation. Instead of genuinely selling their property and giving all of the money to the apostles, these two schemed to give only part of it, trying to get credit for giving all of it. Do you remember what Peter said to Ananias? In Acts 5, we read these words. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. Then, as you probably know, Ananias dropped dead producing great godly fear in the congregation. Sapphira followed suit with the same lie and was struck down as well. Quite a shocking story if you think about it. It raises all sorts of questions in our minds. But I just want to focus on the aspect that pertains to our topic, Satan's confusion versus biblical logic. Ananias and Sapphira were clearly used by Satan in an effort to disrupt the work of the Holy Spirit in the first church. Do you think that this big lie that they told was totally foreign in their hearts? In other words, was this couple upright and righteous, never thinking about doing something like this until Satan planted this lie in their hearts? I don't think so. I think Satan simply used their sinful tendencies to his advantage. These two were most likely already greedy, seeking power and fame. They just saw an opportunity to have the best of both worlds, to look holy and sacrificial while still keeping their big savings account intact. This is how Satan works. He uses the sinful inclinations of our heart, our sinful leanings, and simply fans the flames. Notice how Peter understands it. He says, Satan filled your heart with this lie, while also saying, why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? Satan works with our sinful hearts in a powerful partnership that works against the Holy Spirit. 
So again, it is vital that we pay attention to the devil's lies and his schemes against our hearts. We need to dig down deep and hold on to biblical truth and logic to combat Satan's work. Well, let's jump into our next topic. We'll call it independence versus dependence. Satan wants us to grow in our independence while the spirit works to make us more dependent. Now, right off the bat, I need to clarify. I am not saying that the American colonists seeking political independence from Great Britain was a satanic act. Political freedom is a good thing, as is any effort to become independent of tyrannical control. So we are not talking about that definition of independence that has to do with becoming self-governing, no longer under the control of another. But we will touch on the fact that Satan does tempt us to come out from authority that is God-given authority. Okay, I'm sure I'll be making further clarification as we go, but I wanted to get that one out of the way first. So let's first address Satan's temptation to independence. First, Satan tempts us to become independent of other people. In normal human development, we want children to learn more and more independence, don't we? When babies come out of the womb, they are totally dependent on their parents for everything, for their food, to get from place to place, to be clean, etc., So it's a wonderful thing when children learn to feed themselves, bathe themselves, go to the potty by themselves. Wonderful independence. But this natural process of human development can be used by Satan to tempt us to think that the ultimate goal of life is independence from people. In other words, it can seem like the worst thing in this life is when people have to take care of us, when we are dependent on them. Satan can lead us to become proud that we can take care of ourselves and we don't have any real need for people in our lives. Several examples come to mind here. First, there's Sally, who is an older widow in your church. She has always taken pride in how strong and independent she's been, always there to help other people. So when Sally is taken to the hospital by ambulance, it's almost three days later when the church actually finds out. Sally remarks, I never want to be a burden to anyone. The pastors have so much important work to do. They don't need to visit me. Sally doesn't even want to be put on the prayer list. Again, people have more important things to pray about than her situation. Then there's Stan. Stan has been married to Susie for 20 years. They have struggled for years with some deep marital issues. Susie has sought counseling several times through the years, but Stan has steadfastly refused. Stan claims to believe that counseling doesn't work, but when you talk with him more, he just doesn't like other people knowing his business, especially the pastors at his church. Most of the problem is Susie anyway, but he doesn't even like her going to counseling. Finally, there's Saul. Saul is a single 20-something guy. He was raised in the church, but now rarely attends. He does watch a TV church service every week, though. He enjoys keeping to himself, happy to go to work and come home to his cat. Saul doesn't find relationships necessary. They're too much work and too much drama. 
So do you see what Sally, Stan, and Saul have in common? Whether they would admit it or not, they are fiercely independent people and independent of people. The last thing they would ever want to do is ask for help or assistance of any kind. Now, there are many underlying reasons why people come to believe Satan's lie that independence from people is some sort of virtue. Some people have been hurt or rejected by other people too much. Others are socially fearful and socially awkward. Still others are not wanting the messiness of relationships. If you are never dependent on people, then they won't be dependent on you. Then second, Satan tempts us to be independent in our thinking. Now, wait just a minute. Isn't it a good thing to become an independent thinker? We don't want people being easily swayed by the opinions of others or false worldviews, right? Certainly, there's a sense where we should think for ourselves. But yet again, Satan could take something good and twist it into something bad. If you were actually a purely independent thinker, that would mean that all of your thoughts are original to you. But that's just not reality. Your thoughts have been harvested from what other people have taught you by things you have read, watched, and paid attention to. Is there really any such thing as an original thought? The real problem I'm referring to is when we want to make ourselves independent from the advice of others, from the counsel of others, from the wisdom of others. If we fight to think for ourselves, we can end up shunning any influence from other people, not wanting their input because it will just take away from our own pure thought. Satan can confuse us to forget that our thinking is sinful and our minds are weak. We need other people who have godly wisdom to help us think through things properly. I often chuckle to myself when someone seeks my counsel on a matter only to proudly announce, Thanks, Dr. Kwasny. I already knew all that. You haven't said anything that I hadn't really thought about anyway. Now, while that may be true at times, it can reveal an independent spirit that would rather not be bothered with the thoughts of others. I don't care how smart or brilliant you are, you can't think about everything in every situation. This sort of independence of thought is a recipe for trouble. Without some people around you who can offer wise counsel, you can fail to think through things biblically. It is actually essential to become a dependent thinker, one who looks to other godly minds to learn how to think and what to think. This doesn't mean that you don't think for yourself or that you slavishly believe what everyone else believes. It takes godly wisdom to sort out how best to think on any and every given subject. And then third, Satan tempts us to become independent in our behavior and our choices. Again, let me explain what I'm getting at here. Of course, our behavior and choices are independent in the sense that we are responsible for them. Our behavior is our behavior. But striving to be independent in our behavior has to do with our attitude. Here are some examples of what I mean. When we don't care if our behavior or choices impact someone else. When we deny that our behavior or choices affect others at all. When we just don't give much thought to others before making the choice. This temptation often arises in marriage. 
At the extreme, it is when one spouse chooses some extremely sinful behavior with little thought to how the other may respond. At its very worst, it's the decision to sinfully divorce with no thought to how it will impact children or other family members. Ultimately, what I guess I'm getting at is such a self-centeredness that we totally forget that our behavior has consequence on others. This seems to me to be one of our great cultural sins right now. We have redefined freedom to mean we should do what we want to do whenever we want to do it, regardless of how it impacts others. As Christians, we must not be this independent in our actions, choices, and activities. We must consider others more highly than ourselves. And especially as Christians, the world is watching us, ready to scoff at Christ when they see bad behavior come out of us. And I would say especially in marriage, where Satan so tempts us to behave in ways that give little thought to how it hurts the other spouse. Then fourth, Satan tempts us to become independent of God. This is Satan's ultimate goal for Christians. When you think about it, every time we sin, we are acting independently of God. We are turning our backs on him and doing things our own way. But there are more subtle ways we are tempted to become independent of God, ways that fall under the umbrella of being what we call a practical atheist. Years ago, my former pastor used that term in a sermon, and it has intrigued me ever since. Stop and think how often we operate in this world with no view to what God thinks or God wants. We are practical atheists when we make major decisions without prayer or any biblical counsel or guidance. We are practical atheists when we live in ways that look just like non-Christians live, without thought to what God thinks about it. We are practical atheists when we are silent towards others about God when our witness is anything but God. All of this and so much more demonstrates a desire to be independent of God. What I think Satan wants us to believe is that we need God for salvation, but then everything after that is up to us. Satan loves to create Christian humanists, if that is even a thing, where we believe in Jesus for salvation, but we don't depend on him for our sanctification. Just like the children of Israel, we are glad to be delivered from our slavery to sin and death, but then we wander around the wilderness depending on ourselves rather than in God. It should actually be the reverse, that we become more dependent on God as life goes on, not less. Satan is really just exploiting what our hearts already often want, to be on our own, to be our own God, and not to have to be truly dependent on anyone. So now let's turn to the way we combat our natural sinful tendency towards independence. To truly defeat Satan's confusion, we must think biblically, depending on the Holy Spirit in our efforts. We need to know what dependence really is. So here we go. First, dependence is asking for help from God and other people. As I've shared before, I am one of those men who refuse to ask for directions or ask where something is located in Walmart. If I can't find it, it just doesn't exist. 
While that may just seem like typical masculine pride, it is really just plain ungodly foolishness. Do you know how much time I would have saved in my life by just asking for some assistance? Our earlier examples of Sally, Stan, and Saul are pretty clear, aren't they? They all refuse to ask for help, choosing to be independent from people instead. So why is it so hard to ask for help? Well, there's so many reasons, but here's a few. First, we are embarrassed or even ashamed that we need help. Or we don't want to be a so-called burden on another person. Or we don't want to have to help someone else in return. Or it makes us look stupid or inept. If you struggle with this sort of necessary dependence, get to the heart of why. Ask God to show you what your own unique resistance is. When we are refusing to ask for help from other people, we are also refusing to receive help from the hand of the Lord. This is humorously summed up in an old joke you may have heard before. It goes like this. A fellow was stuck on his rooftop in a flood. He was praying to God for help. Soon a man in a rowboat came by and the fellow shouted to the man on the roof, jump in, I can save you. The stranded fellow shouted back, no, it's okay, I'm praying to God and he's going to save me. So the rowboat went on. Then a motorboat came by. The fellow in the motorboat shouted, jump in, I can save you. To this, the stranded man said, no thanks, I'm praying to God and he's going to save me. I have faith. So the motorboat went on. Then a helicopter came by and the pilot shouted down, grab this rope and I will lift you to safety. To this, the stranded man again replied, no thanks, I'm praying to God and he's going to save me. I have faith. So the helicopter reluctantly flew away. Soon the water rose above the rooftop and the man drowned. He went to heaven. He finally got his chance to discuss this whole situation with God, at which point he exclaimed, I had faith in you, but you didn't save me. You let me drown. I don't understand why. To this, God replied, I sent you a rowboat and a motorboat and a helicopter. What more did you expect? You get it, don't you? God calls us to depend on others in an extension of our faith in him. And then second, dependence is meant to strike a blow to our ungodly pride. If you haven't already, spend some heart-to-heart -heart time with a person with a disability. You will hear how hard it is to learn to depend on another person. Maybe you have a disability that requires a deep level of dependence. If you developed it later in life, it may be even more difficult to accept your need. No one really wants to be the one cared for. We often feel much better about ourselves when we are caregivers rather than the recipients of care. Why is that? Because dependence teaches us humility. It attacks our sinful pride. Think about it. How else will we deal with our natural sinful pride if we don't have opportunities to become more dependent on God and other people? Humility isn't something we'll just adopt as a defining characteristic of our life. It is developed through God humbling us and making us more reliant on Him. Leaning on others can feel humiliating, but that is only an indicator that our pride is still strong. What may seem humiliating is actually good for us. 
So if you truly want God to work on your pride, look for ways to be dependent on others, thanking them for the opportunity. And then third, dependence is God's way to build community. Now, this should make perfect sense. How can we have community if we are all acting independent of one another? The root word of community is common. How can we have things in common, share things in common, and not be dependent on one another? Again, we go back to the early Christian church. What an amazing picture of dependence. If you sell everything you have, you necessarily are going to be dependent on one another. Ananias and Sapphira gave in to Satan's lie that they could act like they were dependent on others, but still stay independent. We can often do the same thing. It shouldn't surprise us when many of our churches lack real community. Sometimes it's because we are all too affluent to need anything from another. Yet even if we don't necessarily need money or possessions from other people, there are so many other ways to be dependent on people in our community. We could use other people's counsel and wisdom. We could use other people's partnership in projects, especially in the gospel. We could simply use a listening ear or someone to hang out with us. Do I even need to talk about how modern technology leads us to be more independent rather than more dependent? God puts us together in community to teach us to be dependent. If we're fighting those lessons, then our community will be fake, not really practicing true common unity. Just one last point. Dependence is not something to use to take advantage of others. In 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul writes these words about us as Christians. And to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. So there is such a thing as godly, righteous independence where we strive to be fully responsible for ourselves financially and in our living situations. What this points to also is that we must be careful to not use other people in the name of being dependent on them. Satan can tempt us to become a person in constant need because our sinful patterns of irresponsibility. In other words, we can create situations where some people are always dependent and never can be depended on by someone else. So we must all be careful not to take advantage of other people in a dependent relationship, but also be careful that we don't go to the other extreme of never being dependent on anyone. Now, the way I've set up this season on spiritual warfare is to create a distinction between Satan's lies and God's truth, Satan's confusion and biblical logic. But in this case, I must add a third term into the mix. We are to resist independence, work on being more dependent, but then end up with the ultimate goal of interdependence. That's the direction I was going with the whole point on community. When we are dependent on one another, we'll end up becoming interdependent on one another. As I've also said in other podcasts, I'm quite fond of all the one-anothering phrases used in the New Testament. They could form a whole season on their own. 
This one anothering is just another way to describe interdependence. We are to be doing certain activities for one another and with one another as the body of Christ. So let me close with some brief thoughts on interdependence. First, interdependence keeps us from having two classes of people in the church. I've already alluded to this, haven't I? We don't want some people always to be the ones cared for and others doing all the caring. It is often tempting for pastors and Christian leaders to act like they have no needs and they are just called to help those who are needy. God did not design the church to have a permanent minister class and a permanent minister to class. Then we feed into this division based on dependence. The reality is that we all need each other and we all have things to give the other. Be honest, how often are you shocked and surprised when someone in leadership shares a struggle or develops a problem where they need help? Can they quickly fall off your pedestal? We must resist this tendency in the community of believers by holding the truth that we are here for one another. And of course, this actually means that certain people need to express that need and not act independent of others. And then second, interdependence grows our mutual spiritual gifts. Again, we have the problem of those who appear to have all the gifts and those who have nothing to offer. In talking about spiritual gifts, the Apostle Paul writes these words in 1 Corinthians 12. To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Do you hear it? To each, to everyone, for the common good. We are all given spiritual gifts as Christians for one another. And the only way to grow and develop them is within interdependent relationships. We are to learn to serve one another. Is it no wonder why so many Christians do not see themselves as being gifted by the Spirit? They are often living independently, not participating in the body of Christ at all. So let's foster interdependence in the body to see all of our spiritual gifts on display. And then third, interdependence grows deeper appreciation and gratitude. How do we really get to know another person that is not a family member or a close friend? By serving with them, by depending on them for something. Again, the more we are interdependent, the more we grow in appreciation of others. And hopefully the more grateful we will be towards God. The Lord has put people in our lives to get to know them as more than a two-dimensional cardboard cutout. They are real souls that we need to appreciate and love. And finally, interdependence sanctifies us to be more like Christ. Aren't we so often focused on our own personal sanctification? How I personally have to act more like Jesus? Well, that's a good thing. But Jesus is also working on sanctifying his entire body as his one unified bride. We together make up the body of Christ. Back to 1 Corinthians 12 and how Paul describes every part of the body being important, like every part of your own body. But his bigger emphasis is how the body must work together 
In other words, how the body becomes more interdependent. Independence stifles the sanctification of his body. Some people being dependent while others are not does the same thing. Interdependence is the best way to grow us to maturity. Working together is not our strong suit typically. Why not? Well, for all the reasons I've laid out in this podcast, Satan loves for us to work independently of one another. So allow the Spirit to do His work of sanctification on all of us as churches and as the larger church universal. Do you recognize your tendency towards independence? Ask God to grow you independence. You may not like what He does at first, but you need it, as I do as well. Also, let's join in prayer that we as Christians will learn the biblical mindset of interdependence in all that we do so that we will grow stronger in Christ together. Thank you for listening to Biblical Counseling Today with Dr. John Kwasney. This weekly podcast is supported by Biblical Counseling and Training Ministries, which you can learn more about at bctministries.com. If you have found yourself encouraged or challenged today, please share this podcast with your church, family, and friends. Rate us on iTunes and your social media outlets. It really helps. Until next time, may you enjoy the riches of God's compassionate grace and mercy in your life.